Hi, this is Matt Bird, DJ, musician, and royalty analyst, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Welcome to episode 130. Can you believe we're like 30 episodes past our big celebration of 100? It's really wild. (laughs) (laughs) Time flies. So anyway, yes, we have been really busy this season exploring aspects of democracy. We're asking questions about how democracy works in the U.S. and elsewhere and what we can do to preserve it and make it better or if we want to do that at all. And so far we've heard about being part of a local democratic committee, organizing and lobbying for healthcare, the power of the grassroots activism experience, and how sometimes, uh, most recently, how sometimes our stories from our political history can really help us deal with the current troubles and keep those in perspective. And in this episode, we are going to take a trip back, going back, back, back (laughs) to episode 98, (laughs) where I talked with uh, musician and DJ Matt Bird from Melbourne, Australia. And we did talk a lot about music, but he also shared quite a bit about how the democratic process works in Australia. And we just wanted to go back to that and take a listen and include that in this series. But before that, We are going to enter the blanket fort to talk about navigating the endemic COVID landscape that we find ourselves in now and probably for the rest of future. Yep. (laughs) So how was your fortnight, Wendy? uh, It was fine. You know, I have a very boring life. It's, you know, wake up, feed the cats, go knit and then pick raspberries and make jam. (laughs) <laughs> make sauce. It's it's canning season here at the at the garden house. Wow, it sounds like Little House on the Prairie. You're it's just totally, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I have to put on my little, you know, apron with the riffles and all of that. Oh shit. God, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyone, I would like to see that. Was, it's Halloween's coming up, so <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that Ruffles and I are not on speaking terms. So. No. <laughs> This is not a ruffle wearing podcast. No. <laughs> um, I did finish knitting a sweater yesterday. So yay. So it, it'll be ready for when the weather gets warm. And of course, today it's going to be 90 degrees. So I can't use okay. it yet. But it's pretty. Wow. And I have leftover yarn. So I'm going to be making fingerless gloves and probably a hat to go with the sweater I just made. That is my lat. That's what happened here at the last two weeks. Okay, well. (laughs) And you, uh, you have a much more interesting life. (laughs) Well, I am speaking to you currently from just outside of Akron, Ohio, hanging out. I I went to the big devotional Devo fan gathering uh, this past weekend, which was phenomenal. Like, I can't even explain, like, we're outgrowing this club, I think, where we've had it for several years. It used to be in in Akron. Now, Now it moved to this place in Cleveland, the Beachland Ballroom, and it was packed like both 
like Friday night and all day Saturday. It was kind of, yeah, it was a lot of people. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and lots of, you know, old friends and just well, great. I mean, you guys haven't had this for a couple of years now, right? We did it last year. Oh, okay. and that was the first time I was in a crowd, like with, you know, the whole COVID thing. And mm. so it was very, it was a lot scarier then. So I guess we'll talk about that in our blanket fort too, but it's, <laughs> you know. It's still like, it's not nothing to be in, uh, surrounded by that many people, you know? Yeah. I don't but, know that um, I could do that yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's tough. But I, other than that, I regret saying out loud that Mercury <laughs> retrograde means nothing because <laughs> I had lots of ridiculous mishaps. Getting here was fine. You know, that that's so far, knock on wood, that's been great. But the week before attempting to go camping went awry in so many ways. <laughs> it's even hard to enumerate, but it, it involved, you know, rain, getting rained out, going to a, a motel, which turned out to not be suitable and Ooh. having to leave at about midnight. Um, oh, man. <laughs> and and go, going going hiking in a place we didn't intend because we weren't any we weren't where we meant to be because we had to leave where we're staying. I mean, it was it was a lot. It was wow. a lot. So uh, I'm not really going to blame Mercury, but it was, well, it, there were some trying times. I think kidding. there's like six planets in mer in retrograde right now. Uh, that, oh, well, that must be it. Yes. <laughs> it, it's not just Mercury. It's all of them. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway. I, I mean, people have been joking about that and saying like, oh, well, it's really Earth is retrograde right now. because <laughs> it's <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> anyway. So life, life is but life is fun. I do love a road trip. Pennsylvania is a very wide state. It takes many hours to drive across it. Yes, and many potholes. Uh, uh, maybe not they, where I have not, not where I've not in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all I remember and, about Pennsylvania highways was like the potholes that would eat your entire car. Oh wow! So, <laughs> thankfully, I have not had that yet. Not. <laughs> I'm knocking on this wooden desk right now. Okay, so. Anyway, so yeah, that was my fortnight. Okay. So we should do a little business here. As always, you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday and subscribe to the show on our website, leftscape.com. And find us also wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you sign up for automatic downloads so you don't miss us. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. You can check out our show notes on the website, which features links for you to follow our show guests and to get more on topics we discuss. And while you're on the site, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Your downloads, likes, follows, and subscriptions really help us grow. Please leave us a review wherever you listen, and we appreciate it so, so much. Absolutely. And on Patreon, our supporters can listen to our latest exclusive segment called We Should Be Recording This. And you can also, you know, want to, our uh, Patreon supporter, you can listen to all the back episodes of all sorts of TMI you want to know about <laughs> us. So, yeah, that starts at a dollar per month. And if you support us at the Backstage Pass level, which is $3 per month, you also get invites to all of our periodic hangouts that we have like on Zoom or we're uh, thinking about setting up a Discord. Uh, we do Facebook Lives from time to time and other platforms like that. So feel free to join us there. That would be fun. Yeah. We'd like to uh, hang out with you guys. <laughs> for now, it's time for three random facts and the news. Yes. So random facts. I decided to look up some 
Akron random facts. And of course, you know, the big random fact for me is that Devo uh, originated in this town. Oh, which really? I didn't is, know that. Uh, yes, yes, which is very awesome. So, okay, so that was as, as the surprise the, random a bonus fact. random fact. A bonus <laughs> fact, yes. But so I found some things about the University of Akron, which I thought were interesting. The University of Akron is the only university in America that offers a degree in corrosion engineering. So according to the website, the program prepares students to design materials for preserving industrial infrastructure, defense, and environmental assets around the world, Hmm. which makes sense because this is also like a big, was a big tire manufacturing place. So I guess it has a lot of that industry background still. And um, also the University of Akron is the only place in America where you can get a degree in aerospace systems besides the U.S. Air Force Academy. Wow. So interesting stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And this was a a question that I think I had or Robin had. We talked about it offline a couple of times. I figured let me throw it in here as a fact, a random fact. And this has to do with with coloring the Democratic Party as blue and the Republican Party as red. And that did not get solidified until the 2000 presidential election. Prior to that, talking about red states and blue states on TV would not necessarily have resulted in any understanding from an audience, you know, from an audience on TV because nobody was doing that yet. But by 1992, networks seemed to have mostly settled on red for Republican and blue for Democrat. The first network to use a colored state graphic for its election night broadcast was CBS in 1972, which used segments of the country to illustrate how things are progressing. Prior to 1972, color was not used on TV news to indicate which was which way a presidential election was going. And also prior to the fall of the Soviet Union, the color red was kind of not something people wanted associated with themselves in the United States anyway because of communism. So that that's my random fact. I, I, that is really fascinating to me because it just it's one of those like was it Mandela effect things where I feel like I've it's always been that way. Yeah. Like you know, since I was born it was red and blue. But no. it was, you know, relative No, I mean it, it wasn't even consistent. I, I think um, the, some they use yellow and some. Yeah, one year CBS things, right? used uh, blue and yellow, and they were. I think the blue was the Republicans at that point, wow. and they would switch around, and the different networks would use different colors for the different parties. For the same, well, I mean, you know, one network would use red for Democrats, the other network would use blue, and like I said, it it didn't get consistent until the two thousand election, and you know, for those of you who were too young to remember the Al Gore, George W. Bush debacle, the, the hanging chads, chads and <laughs> that was the first ele- yeah, the first election in modern times that was really decided by the Supreme Court. So, and let's hope we don't have to do that again, right? Anytime soon, because the court is not our friend right now. No, uh, not at all. I kind of think just one comment. I think that the idea of switching colors it might actually be healthier yeah so then you don't become like this the red team against the blue team exactly it's like it sort of diffuses that weird but uh, they are thing that's that, going on but there are parties in power who think the tribalism thing is helping them oh sure absolutely. so you know yeah. and our third fact 
<laughs> the third fact is <laughs> that Bob, on, in his school yearbook, Bob Dylan said that his ultimate dream was to be in Little Richard's band. <laughs> I just find that so cute. <laughs> <laughs> was he ever? I don't believe he ever joined Little Richard's band. Okay. As far as I can recall but he, he kind of did okay on his own so yeah he did i think i think they, they both did all right <laughs> all right well here here is all the news i hope we can handle <laughs> yeah so well, the first bit of news it was actually a bit of news from last show that i should have included and that is it's bisexual visibility month so yay yay <laughs> <laughs> and by visibility day is actually this friday the 23rd by then i'll be back in the philadelphia area going to a show with a friend so i will be wearing the, the i'll be wearing the bi flag colors i think to I, be, just to represent i think i need to do that i'm going to a wedding on friday and i really i think i need to select my wardrobe to be subtly by visible. Subtly visible? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, so I, I haven't really looked into what events are going on around it, but you can, you know, Twitter, by Twitter, will tell you what's happening if there's anything in your area. So <laughs> I, I love that there's like little enclaves on Twitter for various yes. for various groups. I, I find oh, yeah. that great. <laughs> that's how hashtags, that's, that's one of the good uses of hashtags. Yeah, so I'm going to have to someday get with that program. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the shit that makes me, you know, it makes me write, say, okay, boomer to myself. Um, so. <laughs> I'll give you Twitter lessons. It's okay. <laughs> In other news, there's been just absurd stuff going on around the border and the issues of migration. And one of the most recent things that happened is that Ron DeSantis arranged to send some migrants from that came into Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And it was just, I mean, I shouldn't be shocked, right? I shouldn't be. <laughs> but it was a situation where I guess they, you know, they, they crossed the border into Texas and then they were told that there would be, you know, they'd be able to expedite their, their paperwork if they got on this plane and flew to Boston, which did not fly to Boston. I think they made a stop in, in Florida somehow. So I don't know, you know, whatever. They went from Texas to Florida, I believe. And then... Yeah, well, DeSantis is Florida, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. But he somehow like engineered this with the Texas governor as well, okay. or something. I don't know what, I don't know if the governor was involved there, but, but uh, DeSantis got himself involved. Yeah. And they just landed in Martha's Vineyard, which is, you know, if people aren't aware. It's like a very posh. It's, a, it's an island. Island where, you know, wealthy, wealthy, typically very liberal people go. So but it's, it's like, not, it's, like <laughs> it's, it's a lot less uh, posh. There, yes, it's it's got a lot of rich people living there, but right. there is also a part. It used to be like you know, seventy five years ago, just a summer escape place for people living in Boston and and other cities where you know you know New York and all the big cities would clear out in the summer because nobody had air conditioning because it hadn't been invented yet. 
So everybody right. would leave the city and go to the shore. So the Jersey Shore, you know, that's how Atlantic City got huge mm. and all of that. And Martha's Vineyard was like the Boston version of that. But there is there is a like 17,000 people live there year round and none of those are you know, uh, the one percenters, they're all like, you know, the people who run the restaurants and, you know, they're, they're just right. regular people that sure. are living on this. <laughs> sure. There's a lot of regular folks too, obviously. But I think my point was the, the image that people have. And I think that a lot of people still have, it's like, it's like where James Taylor and Carly Simon basically. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the Kennedys, when the Kennedys were and, a thing, they were there, I guess. Right. On Martha so Vineyard. it's, so it's a lot of that. And since it, it's a sanctuary city or, or area or whatever you call it. Um, State. Island. Oh, okay. And <laughs> Massachusetts is a, they do that, you know, they're right. very, Massachusetts is very, very blue. So Right, right. So the point was, oh, you think it's nice to save, you know, migrants? Well, we're just going to send them to you then. Like it was that sort of a thing, you know, and they, people stepped up and found places for people to sleep and yeah. got people supplies and, and like, fed them like what? Right. Yeah. It's like what you do when you, people show up and need help. So in some ways it backfired. In other ways, it's just it's just so such an egregious act to begin with. Well, it's like ridiculous. the outrage so it's for me is 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 how much money this stunt cost. Yeah, it's over ten thousand dollars per person to ship them there. The, like it was like, the number I saw was like thirteen thousand per person it's like over half a million dollars DeSantis wasted on this stunt right right and that has nothing to do with how much the people up in Martha's Vineyard spent to take care of these people right so you know I I think that money could have been much better spent (laughs) right and for me it's it's I mean that's yeah there's a monetary factor but also just people are humans yeah and treating people like pawns and just you know dumping them somewhere where they where they were lied to about where they were going and it's just it's uh yeah not a thing it's bullshit yeah (laughs) and i hope people i hope more people see through it than he expects yeah you know hurricane fiona knocked power out to puerto rico over the weekend and i don't know what the status is right now if they got the power back on or not or even if the storm is gone from them already i feel bad for them again and i'm hoping it's not going to be a repeat of the last time this happened right and i will keep a lookout for ways viable ways that we can help yes thank you we'll we'll post that this is just something that as i perused the guardian in the morning before the we record as i as i do to to look at how the rest of the world is viewing us and also some things that the u.s news doesn't really elevate to visibility, <laughs> you know, President Biden on 60 Minutes said that that we still have a pro- quote, we still have a problem with COVID. We still are still doing a lot of work on it, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everyone seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing, unquote. I'm kind of not happy that he said the pandemic is over because it sure as shit doesn't feel like it. The World Health Organization cautioned that coronavirus still poses an acute global emergency, and it highlighted that during the first eight months of 2022, more than one million people died from COVID-19. 
In the U.S., the toll of the pandemic has diminished significantly since early in Biden's term when more than 3,000 Americans a day were dying as enhanced care, medication, and vaccinations have become more widely available. But nearly 400 people a day continue to die from COVID in the United States, according to the uh, Center for Disease Control, the CDC. Mm. So, I mean, there's a lot of wishful thinking going on about this. And, I, and this is this is going to dovetail right into the blanket fort. And I probably should have put this last so we could just do that. But so that's probably not going to help us with... <laughs> <laughs> with staying COVID free. And my next news item is John Oliver continues to be a national treasure from his <laughs> recent show about PFAS, which is stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, uh, which I think are mostly on the nonstick coatings. It's part of that stuff. He did a show on this, I want to say a few months ago, Basically, when he does a show on something, then it's like the nation suddenly is aware of it. But and the reason so he did this show on PIFAs. So more attention is being paid about that contaminant and its existence in in our environment. And it's showing up now in what is called sludge, which is the solids that are left over from wastewater purification. So, you know, when they're, you know, when you flush a toilet and all of that water goes to your water treatment plant and gets purified again and sent back into the system, the stuff they took out is called sludge and they use it for fertilizer. And nobody and and many states aren't testing for PFAS and the states that are testing it are finding a lot of it in the sludge that gets put into farmland and it's starting to contaminate the soil there. And there are fights going on in various states. Some states kind of aren't really giving a shit about it. And some states are, and there's lawsuits that are happening all over. And if environmental issues are something that you are aware or want, want to be an activist about, you should look at your state and how they are treating this chemical, these chemicals in your, in your wastewater. And, and if they're, you know, demanding that it gets removed before it gets put back into the ground or not, it's something you should be aware of. Uh, Cause it's, it, you know, if it gets into the food supply on top of just it being around our products, it's not going to be great for us. Hmm. Another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> to add to the environmentalists. Thank you for that though. It's good to know about. Yeah, I, I didn't know about it till I saw it in the papers today. And I go, God damn. Uh, you know, Russia has not given up on on its war on Ukraine. And this more like early this morning, uh, which is Monday morning, Russian troops struck the Pivdinoronetsk nuclear power plant. <laughs> Wait, say that again? Uh, don't make me say that again. I am not saying it again. Um, <laughs> it is the nuclear power plant in Ukraine's southern Mykolaiv region early Monday, uh, but the reactors have not been damaged and they're still working normally, according to Ukraine state nuclear company. The blast took place 300 meters away from the reactors and damaged mm. power plant buildings shortly after midnight. And it also damaged a nearby hydroelectric power plant and transmission lines. The power plant is still operating normally, and there weren't any casualties. 
President Zelensky said, quote, the invaders wanted to shoot again, but they forgot what a nuclear power plant is. Russia endangers the whole world. We have to stop it before it's too late. And this area, the Mikolaev region, has been under constant rocket attack by Russians for Russian forces in recent weeks. So, I mean, I know, you know, we in America aren't paying as much attention to the war in Ukraine as we did when it was new, you know, because now it's old and boring and we've become habituated to it. Uh, right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. It doesn't get as much coverage. We did hear about how Russia really seems to need some like window security. <laughs> it just seems like people just fall out of windows. Yeah. Uh, they, so some of that has been happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, have... and and I think Ukraine had actually made some strides pushing the Russians back in another area. Yeah. So you have some more. I do. Kind of, we have some kind of good news. I have. Uh, well, this is a better. This is not bad news. I mean, well, okay. It's not what I would call bad news. Uh, okay. Researchers have hailed a potential paradigm shift in screening for cancer after publishing the results of a trial that used a simple blood test to, to detect signs of a number of different cancers. The Galeri blood test uses a single blood sample from the patient, which is then tested for methylation in the DNA which is one of the hallmarks of cancer. The test is conducted with DNA sequencing and machine learning to analyze methylation patterns in the DNA from the blood. The analysis can then spot cancer signals and predict where the cancer might be in the body. The Gallieri test can detect signals from more than 50 types of cancer. The study called Pathfinder involved uh, over 6,000 participants, all of whom are over the age of 50 with increased risk of getting cancer. The cancer signal was found in 92 participants, and of these, 35 were diagnosed with 36 different cancers in total. Of, among the confirmed cancers, Grail, uh, Grail said 71% had cancer types that are not routinely screened for, such as uterine and pancreatic cancer, which those cancers usually aren't detected until they're basically at stage four and they get, you know, and you're saying, oh, okay, you've got time, you know, it's time to get your affairs in order by the time they yeah. find those. And 48 of the non-recurrent cancers were found in the early stages. So, and the prediction of where the cancer signal was coming from in the body was found to have a 97% accuracy. Wow. So that's incredible. Yeah, I am very hopeful that that this test will become available. This is a this is happening in Europe, so it's not anything that's approved for us yet. And I am hoping that it will be, and that we can detect these things soon sooner than later, and then they're you know treatable, and we won't be dying from this shit all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's my good news. That's pretty good news. Yeah. And, and I have some too. And I, I think it's maybe a counterbalance to your <laughs> other environmental news, which isn't so great. But at least recently, the outgoing climate advisor, she's actually our first, our country's first climate advisor, Gina McCarthy, said, over the past 20 months as America's first ever national climate advisor, I've witnessed a paradigm shift. The private sector no longer sees climate action as a source of job losses, but rather as an opportunity for job creation and economic revitalization. Hmm. So that's good. That's really good news. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if we've, if we've got to have capitalism, if people decide that it's in their 
best interest, you know, business wise to do something that's actually going to like not destroy the world. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. And she believes that we're going to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030 and zero them out by 2050. So it's one of those things where I guess a lot of people were saying, like, we, we can't make these goals. We're going we're too it's too far gone. Right. You know? Right. And now she's saying, well, you know, I think maybe we got this. Because there there is a shift that's going on in business. So well, I'm I'm thinking you know the the month or so of over 100 degrees on the west the western half of the country have finally woken some people up, mm-hmm. and you know because it's been I, I I've been hearing from my friends in California it's been horrific out there with with the temperatures because they don't yeah. have air conditioning. Right. Yeah. That's that's a huge problem. Absolutely. Yes. And it's been trying, it's been taxing for me and I like hot weather and, you know. <laughs> well, there's hot but weather become, and then there's, and then there's a whole other, this other things that, that yeah. is happening. But I, I right. think, no, yeah. of course. Yeah. No, I, I'm happy to, to know we have a climate advisor in the White House, which we need now, I guess. And uh, is that, I think that's all the news we can handle today. <laughs> I think so. And it got a little, maybe a little encouraging at the end. So I'm going to take it. Okay. Yeah. Are you helping someone run for office? Are you running for office yourself? Going to a protest and can't think of what to write on your sign? Are you tired of seeing BLM or Let's Go Brandon? Then you want the Sloganator. We at the Leftscape have curated a special set of slogans for your next protest or campaign. Visit leftscape.com slash sloganator and voila, you'll receive a fresh new slogan for your sign. That's leftscape.com slash sloganator. Welcome to the Blanket Fort. <laughs> I'm using my radio voice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't developed a radio voice. <laughs> my husband has a good radio voice. Nice. I don't know. The Blanket Fort is, is where we talk about things that are comforting and things that are soft and fuzzy <laughs> and and, and things, how to take and care things of that we're processing and things yeah, yeah and, and self-care and those sorts of yes, things yes yes it's where we retreat to when we need to yes so today we're talking about covid again but now especially i mean i just had my semi-annual doctor visit this week or last week and you know we were talking about how covid is now it's not a pen, you know, and, and the president was saying it's not a pandemic anymore, but it's still here, which means that it's now endemic, which means that it is, it is, oh, it, it is here. It is here. It is among us. It is not going away. Right. And we kind of have to start dealing with that new reality. And for me, what that means is it becomes similar to the flu in how how we protect against it. You know, that means that there's going to be, you know, like I had, I had my flu and COVID vaccines also last week. I didn't do them at the same time, even though now they're starting to recommend it because let's see, the nurse that was giving me the COVID shot was saying that's because the two 
vaccines stimulate your immune system in similar ways and it would and and they they tend to think that you would get a more robust immune response by having both shots together hmm. but i'm a side sleeper and they would have to give you a shot in each arm okay. which meant that i mean I could you not, couldn't sleep <laughs> no so i said i did i did the flu shot first because i could find a flu shot and i had a little i had a little bit of trouble finding who had the new vaccine for the the bivalent vaccine that has the Omicron variant in it. Mm-hmm. Although I did, you know, waiting a couple of days, suddenly it was like everywhere. So I think it's easier to find now. Yeah. How was your experience? Did you have a reaction? I had a it? sore arm, hmm. you know, and I planned, you know, the day I got the shot, I got the shot Thursday and I didn't really have anything to do Friday. So I had planned to not really do anything. So I basically, I sat around watching TV and knitting. I felt a little tired, but not tired enough to go to sleep. I kind of laid down for an hour or two in the afternoon. That's good. And my arm got really sore. I mean, I couldn't like, like to, to raise my arm over my head was, it hurt, but I mean, I could do it, but I didn't want to. Right. But yeah, and a day later I was fine, you know? I don't think I reacted real bad to any of the any of the any of the various vaccines I've had for COVID. That's cool. I mean, a couple of mine really kind of knocked me on my ass for. Yeah, I mean, I may know. have slept the first time for the first one, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, it, it's way better than actually getting it. Oh yeah, there's no there's <laughs> so, no doubt. You know, I have since I did get it, I I have a, something to compare it to. Although I didn't I didn't get a really bad case, mm. and I and I'm assuming that's kind of what the president was alluding to because I guess he and his wife both got it over the summer, like in August, I think. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really bad. You know, I think I was suffering more with the flu when I got the flu when I was in my Mm twenties. I think I had a much higher fever when I had the flu. I didn't, I didn't have much of a fever with COVID, but with the flu it was over 102 and I was achy and miserable and it was just terrible. But COVID, when I got it, was more, it was much more congestion than fever for me when, for not, when I got it. And that's how I reacted to it. And, and the doctors were saying, you know, they recommended I take Mucinex when I was sick. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. And that helped me breathe, which is important. But, it, you know, it didn't really move into my lungs like pneumonia would or, or anything like that. You know, I've had various upper respiratory diseases over the course of my long life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, I had pneumonia as a, on Nixon's second inauguration day. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's why I remember there was nothing on TV, but that I had to watch him get sworn in. It was like, I was so bored. Yeah, uh, I was 12. I was 12 years old. <laughs> so, you know, you can do the math and figure out how old I am now. But yeah, I, I had pneumonia then and, and since then I've always been kind of concerned about any head cold moving down into my chest and turning into pneumonia because that's not something I want. So, you know, and I've been paranoid about COVID the whole time and, you know, I still mask when I go out, especially if I'm like going shopping or I'm starting to go to activities like at the library uh, they have like they have a game night now that I, they probably had it before, but I wasn't aware of it. And now I'm going to that 
And I wear a mask there and nobody else really does. And I don't want to feel stupid or something, but I'm just going to keep masking for a while for the foreseeable future. Yeah. When no. I go out. I think that's, I think that makes sense. And I also am one of the very few people I see masking and it depends a little bit on where I am, you know, certain mm-hmm. stuff. I notice that more people in Whole Foods tend to wear masks than other, any other place I go, I guess. Okay. Most other stores, people have kind of just abandoned it. And I think most people are just thinking like, they just go by like, do we have to wear masks? Okay. I'll wear one. If we not have to, okay, I won't wear one. And they're not really thinking mm-hmm. of what the health reality is of it, I guess. That seems to me to be what's going on. But but yeah. I do feel a little odd, too, sometimes. Like, I wonder if people are thinking I'm just, like, brainwashed or going overboard or something. But it's, my take on it is that, well, a couple things. I, I definitely have started to balance mental health with the physical health. Like, I, I knew that staying inside and really hiding from the world like we were in the beginning is not that's not sustainable for me mm-hmm. anymore. And now with several vaccines shots, it feels appropriate to be able to venture out a bit more and be less just afraid of everything, you know, mm. but I'm still feeling pretty cautious about what I choose to do. You know, like right now I'm in a, a week or so of doing, doing a lot of things with a bunch of people and that's, rare like i'm not doing that mostly there's so many shows and events and i'm i'm doing like so so little of any of those things i normally <laughs> do that it's still i feel i feel left out a lot because i'm like watch i see facebook i see all the p- pictures from all like all these concerts and all these dance events and i'm just so much that i'm just like it doesn't it doesn't rise to the level of essential to me like I'm really just trying to focus on the things that I really want to go do so like the devotional is like it's a pilgrimage of so many friends from like around the country that Mm -hmm. I just want to do that you know that one and how was how was the masking it wasn't too much or were people uh it was pretty non-existent and that bothered me you know it was me and a couple you know there were several people that wore masks consistently when they were like in the crowd. Um, okay. You know, and I tried my best to, you know, when I got to a place where if I was eating or whatever, you know, obviously I wouldn't have my mask on them, but I would, you know, try to gather with people that I felt were, have been trying to do their best to stay healthy through all this, you know? Uh-huh. And there was an outdoor space. So like I tried to stay outside or, you know, get myself some distance as much as I could. So I was more on the outskirts of like the the big the biggest crowd as much as I could be, which is not perfect, but it's better than ignoring the whole situation entirely. You know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think I think a lot of people feel like you know I got my shot. We don't have to wear masks anymore. I'm just going to carry on, and that's kind of what people are doing. So I think what I'm doing is I will t- I'm willing to take the risk for what I feel like is the most either nurturing or important thing for me to do. And Hmm. many of the other things that I would want to be doing, I'm I'm just still not doing. And my big question right now is the gym. Like I have not been in the gym in 
months and months? That's a huge question. I'm also, especially since I'm about to get on Medicare and they give you uh, some money to either go join a gym or take yoga classes or something. I'm thinking about re-upping my gym membership again. I, you know, and, and I'm debating about that too. And uh, I just wanted to throw out there that all of the pictures of the science fiction conventions that I haven't been going to, that all my friends are going to, like Worldcon, you know, they are still requiring masking at these events. Masking on airplanes is getting almost non-existent. And there was a flight, I think a Delta flight, where the flight attendant was kind of mask shaming a passenger. Okay, that's yeah, I, ridiculous. I find that annoying. You yeah. know, there's only, if there's one person wearing a mask, you know, she's going, oh, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Mm. You know, some crap like that. I, I'm like, I, now I don't, I'm like thinking like, I don't really want to fly anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I went to California this summer and that was right after they relaxed the mask masking for airplanes. And I was real. I was like, really? Because I felt, I felt <laughs> so much more confident feeling like, okay, everyone's going to be doing this, you know? And it was a pretty mixed crowd of like people who had them and people who didn't and i i got my n95s and just really was as diligent with it for the whole time as i could be and you know so far so good but oh but about the gym you know so it's like a balance of i feel like my health has suffered by not being as active as i normally am over this time period and and also my mental health it just feels so much i feel so much better when i'm moving a lot and swimming is a thing that I would love to get back into. So I talked to my doctor about it and she said to think about it, you know, and look at other health aspects that I have going on and seeing what's what's what, but she feels like with all of the vaccinations that I've had and I I, I haven't gotten the, the latest one yet, so as soon as I can after I get back I want to take take care of that and the flu shot also. But she said, you know, the great likelihood if you get COVID is that it's not going to be a big deal, you know, similar to what you said. Mm -hmm. And so it might make sense to the greater good might be to go to get back into the gym and do things that create an overall wellness for me that I've been missing, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's scary. It's a scary leap to think about taking and I'm not there yet either, but I'm doing like a half marathon training mm. uh for not running but like speed walk kind of a thing because i want to okay i just want to get back to that being able to do that distance again so i've been working and how long is a half marathon 13 13.1 yeah I that's a lot yeah yeah so i think it's that's miles that's miles <laughs> yeah I, I do give i throw in units because it's just numbers oh it's like 62 <laughs> right and i think it, I, I do my my distance is in kilometers too, actually. Oh, so it's okay. 20. What is it? I can't I think know. of what it is now. In but Is it 2.2? What? 2.2 uh, kilometers per mile? 1.6. 1. 1. 1. 1.6? Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> distance but yeah. So that's something I've been working on and that feels good. And that's another thing that I can do. That's not, doesn't have to be with other people or in a, in a crowded space. So I'm sort of focusing on that for now. And 
but like the idea of being in the pool again is sounds mm. fantastic and i can get you know i've got in some ocean swimming this summer so that's well that's cool that's wonderful yeah that's good yeah i'm just thinking about all of the gym equipment we purchased during the pandemic that doesn't get used you know because <laughs> i was like well we can't go to the gym so let's work out at home and and we have some things and nobody uses any of it any of it so what what do you have what can i buy well <laughs> now it, it's i mean i re, i do regret getting rid of my treadmill like four years ago because mm. <laughs> i would have been using that now rich got like this it's like this contraption that you hang from and you could and it's got like a, a bar where you can like you put your arms close to your body and you hold on to this thing and, and they're resting on, on another bar and you basically lift your lower body up. Oh, like the, like, it's like reverse sit ups, I guess. Chair or something. They call, yeah, uh, no, no, it's, it's some sort of, you know, it's a pull up kind of a thing, which I can, I can hang from it. I mean, he mostly uses it to fix his shoulder. Mm. Like if he hangs from his shoulders and it, and it, it helps, it helps his bursitis or something. And I've got, a whole set of these elastic band things to do workouts with. And I think I tried it like twice and it was just really weird and stupid. And I just stopped. No, they're actually, I, I have those and I see, this is weird because I also <laughs> got them and haven't used them. I, I, used, <laughs> I used to use them all the time. And somehow I think because I was out of the gym habit, like that was part of my, well, if I'm not in the gym, I can do this. So if I'm on, if I'm traveling or whatever, and somehow, because the whole habit was disrupted, that didn't get mm. picked up the way it normally was. But I like those bands. They actually are, once you get used to them, they're, they're actually really helpful. But it's yeah, a matter I of getting need to, to the, I need to, to actually, you know, watch a video or, because like the, the little pamphlet that comes with them was not helpful. <laughs> right. You know, so I need to see what you, how people are actually using these, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Right, right. So, yeah, so overall, I mean, I feel like I'm still more cautious than the way people are seem seemingly behaving out in public currently about COVID. And I also feel like I'm taking a lot more chances than I had been. But I feel like it's some of it, you know, it's kind of necessary to get back to life. But as you said, it's also foolish to pretend that nothing's happening because you know things are right. happening it's still out there yeah i mean i and i also i end up reading articles about there's some people who you know they have long covid and they're having some there's some people who are having very weird cognitive effects it, it like something it's like covid fucked up their executive function yeah that and, scares me and, more than a lot of the things. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> so that makes me concerned about, you know, avoiding getting it again because you never, you know, cuz we don't know what kind of a variant is circulating and 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 how it's going to affect everybody or affect you specifically. Mm -hmm. Because they they can't tell you that. Right. Because they don't know, because it hasn't been around long enough. Right, right. Still, though, outdoor things as much as possible, I think. Yes. Are ways to be social that feels a lot safer. Yeah. So looking forward to all the fall festivals and things that are going on near near where we live. So 
those are things that I'm trying to get my activities in because I feel like once it gets cold out and people are really cooped in, like there will be little tons of things I would not want to even venture near <laughs> again this season. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to get my pumpkin spice Halloween season things on while we can. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird. Time, so we're but we're uh, you know we basically this is this is our reality now. So. Yeah, navigating my way through. Stay safe. Yes. Well, we are here on the Leftscape with Matt Bird. Matt is a musician and a DJ who grew up in a small town in central Victoria, Australia. He learned improvisation from a local saxophone teacher and became a member of his Commitments cover band as a teenager. Then, as a young adult in Melbourne, where he now lives, he landed an admin job at a record company and took some graveyard shifts on a local radio station while constantly playing in bands around town. And he is now a partner at a business management firm specializing in royalty accounting, licensing, and data analysis. And he runs his own uh, small internet station called Radio PBS. He also presents a Yacht Rock show on Northwest FM. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk with you. Uh, I, I know you as a DJ on Discord, uh, Wingnoit, uh, where you do a show called Sideways Soul, which is just fascinating. I, I really love the show a lot. And um, you play a real mix of sounds from... Uh, sort of brash rock to Ethiopian jazz. I mean, I've heard a lot of different things on there. And um, how easy or difficult is it uh, to get exposed to that wide variety of music where you are? Um, I guess, I mean, now more than ever, I think everyone, we've got access to so much. Like there's music out there from everywhere and there's recommendations flying here and there, the algorithm at work kind of doing its thing but I think on my side for that you know for that particular show I think I'm kind of just playing stuff that it's almost like a musical history of me I guess like I think a lot of the like the the Ethio jazz you know there was I can pinpoint a time in my life when I was just right into that <laughs> just all in that was all I was listening to and studying about and and playing and and that sort of thing and there's been other shows where it's been more along the, uh, you know, the 90s trip hop thing, which was big in Melbourne in the 90s. And I was, you know, working at cafes in Fitzroy on a particular street at a particular time with a particular kind of vibe in the air. And, and the trip hop sound from the UK was a huge part of that. So I think, I don't know, um, you know, exposure is sort of pretty ubiquitous. <laughs> it's everywhere. Everyone can listen to everything, but I, I try to keep things a bit personal, I think. And I think that's, in my opinion, the thing that maybe sometimes is missing from the algorithmic recommendations and things like that. It's it's recommendations based on, you know, X, Y, and Z data points rather than, you know, curated by a human with human experience who can tell a story about why why you might like this. <laughs> there's a great radio show on um, there's a station, Triple R, here in Melbourne, uh, just a community station. And one of my favorite shows is a man, Jonathan Alley, and he has a show called Under the Sun. And he, like, I always think, like, it doesn't matter what he plays, sort of maybe genre-wise, 
you know, say I'm, if I'm not that big into punk music, I know that he's going to play punk music that I'm going to like, mm-hmm. regardless of what I think of the genre in particular or it's just a good version of everything, and I trust that man with my life. <laughs> Musically, <laughs> he's, he's incredible, and that's, that's I think, what, what I try to do in that respect, kind of lend it the, the personal rather than just the academic or the, the data analysis version, I guess. Right, right. That sounds great. I, I know that for me in, in the United States, it was there's like very kind of standard sounds that you hear on radio. And you kind of needed to go out of your way a bit more to hear, to go digging, to hear some other things. And I think it's different now where the internet is just more, you know, there's just more of everything everywhere. So that's, that's a help for that sort of experience, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think, again, going back to that radio station, Triple R, I think that's, we're really lucky here to have that. There's another one, PBS as well, and 3CR sort of three main community radio stations. And I'm not sure what it's like in the US. I've, I've heard the, the words college radio dropped and that sort of thing. I'm not sure what kind of a sector it is, but over here there's a, there's a really big sector, the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, CBAA, which is really quite well funded by the government and they're very independent in what they do. And there's something like 450 community stations around the, around the country and there's no remit for them in terms of what they can and can't broadcast. Obviously, every station will have their own set of rules and regulations or whatever, but Triple R and PBS and 3CR in particular have been around since the sort of mid to late 70s, starting as student radio and then moving away from the sort of the institution, the university institutions. And it's 100% listener funded. Um, the only sort of advertising they have are sponsorships from local businesses or or from bands who are plugging their gigs or whatever. But those radio stations, you know, every hour is someone different playing something different, whatever it is. It could be political talks. It could be, you know, art, um, you know, graphical art discussions, or it could be metal. It could be punk. It could be reggae. It could be anything. And it's up to the presenter to decide. And it's such a such a huge part of, of my um, experience in Melbourne is, you know, Triple R is on the radio at all times. <laughs> if it's not, PBS nice. is. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. I think having I those think sort of avenues is has been, again, another, you know, invaluable way of finding music before the internet and that kind of thing. I think we're very lucky to have had that so well provided for, I think. Right, right. Yeah, I, that is comparable to our college radio in a lot of ways. Like um, the, uh, WPRB. Yes. And Princeton was one of my favorite stations and LAR in New York. There's a lot of, there there are things like that where it's maybe not the first line of what you get exposed to, but then there's all kinds of stuff, you know, when you get to those stations. So that's, Mm. that's cool. Yeah. So how did you come across JD Riznar and the the gang who defined Yacht Rock? (laughs) It must've been, I do have memories of watching it. Again, I'm really terrible with, pinpointing years that things happened in my life. But I do remember where I was living. It was a share house in, in Coburg in 52 Wolf Street. And I had a front room set up with a little studio and a computer and the internet. And I'm pretty sure that's where I remember seeing it. And it was just as a funny, funny series. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing to watch. And yeah, it was, it was back then, I'm pretty sure. And it was funny because not like I, rem- I remember that being a thing, but then didn't, think about it for many many years 
And for whatever reason, that you know, that sort of the words yacht rock re-entered my world. And I guess you know, it started as a bit of a, um, as I think it does for a lot of people, as a bit of an ironic twist on liking it. It's sort of like we'd have. Uh, in the office, we'd have a Yacht Rock Thursday where we'd sort of, you know, put songs <laughs> into a playlist and we'd listen to that and it would be chuckle, chuckle, funny, funny. And, yeah, I started there. And then there was a friend of mine, the guy she was seeing at the time, I think we must have been talking about it, talking about Yacht Rock. And he was like, oh, do you know those guys? They do a podcast now. You should have a listen. And that was the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, um, which just rekindled my love for the genre and – you know, I think I just went right down the rabbit hole with that all over again. <laughs> right. That's so funny. It's similar to how I got into it. And I'm not exactly sure when I heard of the podcast either, but I just remember like going, wait a minute, those guys are doing something again. That's awesome. You know, yeah. and it just sort of became a thing. So Yeah, absolutely. It's great. It was just, it was a great extension on that initial premise that the idea of an arbitrary genre, which to me was I don't know. I find that great. I love it. <laughs> the more that, you know, the more things are defined now to a micro level, the more you just want to take the piss out of that. <laughs> it's like, <Right. laughs> is this post hardcore or is this like pre emo hardcore? Like a lot of people trying hard to define something so definitively then to come along and, and just invent one. I love it. <laughs> yes, me too. And I, that's actually something I would like to learn about electronic music because i know that like i hear all these sounds and i like a lot of them and i have no real language for it i mean you know and that's something that i love listening to shows like yours and other people's where i get to hear okay this is what they're calling this genre what what does that have in common with x y and z and trying to sort of understand the scope of it because i feel like i have rock music down mm -hmm. like i know rock it's in my bones kind of you know yeah but other styles aren't as much and it's interesting to to learn that and to make them up too so yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> exactly. yeah for sure i think it, yeah, it takes a bit of a almost like an you know anthropologist sort of view of it you know what is the history behind this what defines this kind of area and what are the who are the people involved and where did it come from that's kind of fascinating to me i think i've got a sort of history nerd bone in me somewhere that relates that back to music as well. Yes, exactly. So how do you compare the creativity involved in DJing and in live performance? Um, I mean, like they're, yeah, they're quite similar, I think. I mean, especially with, uh, yeah. So you talk about improvisation. That was a big breakthrough, I guess, in my musical upbringing. I remember studying like clarinet for a couple of years in primary school, sort of fifth or sixth grade, and then go to high school in year seven, and I picked up the saxophone, and I had the same teacher as before, and it was fine learning to, you know, I could read music, and we were playing scales and playing this for the concert band, whatever. And then, yeah, meeting uh, another saxophone teacher who I just by chance happened to have lessons assigned the following year when I was about to kind of give up saxophone sort of went to this lesson and he taught me this blues scale and said, all right, I'm going to play some chords on the piano and you just play any of these notes however you want and that's that's you can do that. It's like, really? You can do that? You just make that up? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that angle of music which I love and which, you know, has kept me going through it. 
And I can relate that back to DJing because sometimes there's nothing better than to go into the studio with too much music and start playing something and then see where that goes in your head. You know, you've got three or four minutes of a song and, and you kind of go, what song would be perfect after this? What's the next part? And you kind of improvise that set because of how you're feeling, because of how maybe, an, if it's live sort of DJing, how a, an audience is reacting. But even in the studio at the at the radio station, the sort of the improvisational aspect is very much there as well. And I think I I love that as much about DJing as I do about performing. And on the on the other hand, it's also great to craft a really good set with a story. If I've got an hour of radio, um, I can write my piece and slot in the songs and really think about it. And that's kind of, you know, that's almost like playing musical theatre or something. <laughs> like a a lot of friends who do comedy and have played in a lot of sort of musical cabaret type things and when you just have a show and you're doing the show week after week and it gets tight and everyone knows their beats and you're in sync you know that kind of aspect to music is also amazing so i think i can equate i don't know i can kind of draw the, the same sort of you know vibes from the two aspects so i don't see them as being that different really Cool. That's good. Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm not a DJ, but I love making playlists. Mm. And I have that same feeling. It's like, how can you craft? Like, if I wanted to make a playlist for a party that's going to go for like six hours or something, how do you, what do you create and how do you move the moods and that sort of thing? You know, it's it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) It's a bit of a misnomer to say you're not a DJ. I mean, if you're putting songs together, that's pretty much what it is. (laughs) It's like, I didn't didn't have to get (laughs) a certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it would be fun to do. I have not stepped up to do one on Discord yet because it's, I'm aware of the time I don't have in some ways, but, but, um, I'm tempted because it is fun to like, and everyone's so creative about how they create their stories and mm. uh, experiences. Yeah. Know? It's turned into such so. an amazing little thing of, to, you know, to start as this message board with, you know, JD doing the sort of yacht rock sets and finding little stories behind it. And then I think Macy started doing a thing and then someone else and someone else and everyone's sort of got their little niche. It is. It's just like listening to triple R or something. <laughs> everyone's got their own <laughs> little show. They're doing their little thing, playing their music. It's very cool. Definitely. Um, so what does it take to create and run your own internet station? That's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, from, I mean, if anyone wanted to do it, it's really basically like the technology behind it can be really, really simple. You can just, if you've got a connection to the internet and some hosting kind of thing, you can do it really quite easily. But f- I think from my perspective, it was trying to, trying to build a radio station the way that I'd seen them used in real life. So, I mean, yeah, it can be as complicated or not as you like, really. But it's all it, it can also be a slippery slope in terms of like, you know, here's your bare minimum you can get away with. Yeah, but if I had another thing that did this and then I could get one of those to do this and then I could have a great, you know, automatic game control feature on it and normalise all the thing and have an automation playout system. <laughs> you can kind of go to the nth degree. But it's just been, again, it kind of turned into a bit of a pandemic project, I think. I've, you know, I was collecting bits of sort of musical things. We've got a a mixing desk here that 
I bought probably 10 years ago because it was a third of the price because the shop was going out of business and I didn't think I'd ever need a 16-channel mixing desk, but I thought I can't go past it. So <laughs> those have been sitting under the bed and now it's come into its own because I can load up the channels with all of my different musical things and have them all running through the, the one sort of pipe into the internet, so to speak. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, bit of a, a little project. And it was also while um, our office all started working from home, Usually on a Friday, there would be like, you know, five o'clock knockoff beers. So knock off an hour earlier, the company would buy in a few beers and people would sit around in the little garage area sort of outside and just chat, just have a Friday afternoon sort of debrief, chill out. And of course, with everyone working from home, we couldn't do that. So, so I kind of, you know, using this internet radio thing at five o'clock, I'd sort of go live well, the, you know, during the day I'd put out, you know, who wants to pick a theme, someone would pick a theme, and then everyone would pile song ideas into a collaborative playlist. And then at five o'clock I'd turn on the sort of, you know, white sky radio <laughs> and, and just, you know, and have the, the playlist on random and be able to shout people out. So, hey, this is Christy chose this song. This is a great song. Well, this is a terrible song. What are you talking about? And, just, you know, people laughing and chatting in the, in the team's little session. So it was a good way to, to try and, bring people together that weren't together. It was kind of fun. Interesting. So has it grown into something? Is it, uh, do you have sponsors? Do you have other DJs? Is it just you doing stuff? Like how has that grown or changed? Yeah, it's not really, no, no sponsors or anything like that. Once you start getting that involved, I think it's, you know, licensing kind of changes a bit and, I mean, at the moment, really, it's just, it's a kind of proof of concept for myself. Most of the time on Radio PVS, it's just an automation system. So I've got a, a piece of software where I've, you know, imported all the songs and the metadata and the genre ideas. And then there's sweepers and bumpers and jingles and that sort of thing. And, and you can program that to be automated, you know, to play not particular songs at particular times, but maybe, you know, play three Yacht Rock songs and a funk song and then a a hardcore electro so like you can sort of set it up to be a bit randomized but specific and so most of the time it's just that it's just that playing no one's listening but i like to just come and make sure it's still working if something stops why did it stop you know crossover between earlier, it's good oh good <laughs> well, yeah. um, i like it yeah i don't kind of advertise it sort of much it's just sort of it is a bit there for my own just you know entertainment really. <laughs> but yeah, I love nice. to listen to how the songs go together and occasionally I'll sort of just jump on and do a show to no one just to, just to do it myself. But yeah, it's good fun. It's good. Very, very cool. So I want to change gears a little bit. Um, yeah. This, this show focuses a lot on U.S. politics and um, was born out of our distress about the election of Donald Trump, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, I know from something I saw you post somewhere that you think we all just need to really just stop talking about him. (laughs) (laughs) And I get that. I I agree in a lot of ways. But one of the really challenging things is that his presidency has had a real huge impact. And it's important for people to really process this and understand what the hell happened here, Mm. (laughs) you know. Um, So I wonder if you have any insight on how he affected people anywhere in your country, maybe specifically, but I don't know just what your impressions were of that and are. 
and how maybe how the change in the administration has been perceived. Yeah, I mean, it very much, you know, the whole Trump thing affected everybody. <laughs> there's, there's no president of the world, but the U.S. president is the closest that there is, really. Um, so yeah. as as long as much as it didn't affect directly the policy in Australia, I I don't think. You know, Australian, the Australian government at the moment and for the last couple of years has been a conservative government as well, um, the equivalent side to your Republicans, with the Liberal Party right. over here, which is kind of Morrison, funny. Morrison is the Liberal Party, but it's not, the, it's the opposite, sort of. Yeah, that's right. Is that right? Yeah, big L liberal, not little L liberal. So the meaning of the word liberal, it's just their brand. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure of the history of the Liberal Party. I think they were... Uh, initially liberal about something, but it's not, not carrying the same meaning as, as liberal now. So it is a bit confusing. <laughs> right, right. Interesting. Um, yeah, so we, we do have a, a liberal prime minister at the moment, big L liberal prime minister at the moment. And I, I don't believe that Trump's politics would have directly influenced the politics of Australia, but the, the you know, just the... The, everything coming through in the media and the the culture around the guy and how that's affecting the US and yeah I mean it was it sent it would have sent shockwaves through everywhere <laughs> like there was you know BLM protests here as well there's you know there's our own we have our own race problems and gender problems and all of that kind of thing and you know it was a bit of a beacon in a way, like I think seeing the US react to Donald Trump and, I mean, I don't know. I mean, how, how do you kind of explain Trump's thing? <laughs> yeah, he was, it was almost unbelievable. Like from here, I again, I can't imagine. I kind of want to talk more to you about how the reality was. I mean, we saw it from side of stage. You were on the stage. <laughs> it was, it was a bit, it was a, bit of like get the popcorn holy shit how could he do anything worse how could this get any more like a joke but you know it was obviously brutally real <laughs> for, for yeah. you guys yeah i mean it was terrifying i mean the 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 election night when we all were just waiting for hillary to win and then suddenly that just didn't seemed to be going that way and it just got less and less jovial and because i actually went to philadelphia the day night before the election mm -hmm. and hillary and bill were there and bruce springsteen and the obamas and i mean bon jovi like everybody was at the was there like performing and speaking and it just felt um celebratory but also like really driving home like you all need to go vote tomorrow like it's this is huge, yeah. you know? And um, when it turned out not to come to pass the way everyone thought, it was just really shocking and distressing. And I just felt um, like we, I might need to leave the country or something mm. because it felt scary. It felt frightening. It felt like the, the level of racism that was kind of in the air because of his whole attitude. Um, so it, it was... Really that early that like there was there was there was already the sense of impending doom before he'd gone on to do four years of outrageous things like you already were aware that this is the path that things could go down 
Absolutely. I mean, it was just the way he ran. We actually lost friends over people deciding to vote for him and feeling like it's okay to use racism to get votes or Mm. things like that, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there was something, there was a shift in the air. And I, I know for a lot of people, it was, they consider it naive to think it's, impossible for him to win because it's kind of maybe was a um it was a trend that is easily seen if you for for some people and not at all for other people i guess you know but i think that the backlash from obama because a lot of people were just so just hated him right or so it was maybe one reason only yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so it's like an anti-vote it's like I might not necessarily want this guy, but I definitely don't want that guy. And that's right, a stronger yeah. emotion. That's, right, exactly. And there was like this, the whole people just sort of hating Hillary and stuff. But, you know, so it was scary and it just got worse and scarier and um, a lot of things. And so I think when we started this podcast, it was around, it was 2018 where the midterms were so hugely important mm. and just looking forward to how do we, we must get this man out of office. Like there's no, yeah. the alternative would be, I don't even want to think about it. You know? was, was there a big push on the voting side of things? Cause I know, so in Australia, voting in an election is compulsory. So you have to vote. If you don't, you get fined. Like there's, you know, you don't go to jail, but it's very much in the, the, you know, our fabric to vote. You don't have a choice. You vote. Do, was there a big push towards, that sort of angle. No, I don't mean changing policy to make it illegal not to vote, but encouraging people to go and vote who may have been apathetic before. Because I imagine if, because it's not a compulsory thing, people could choose to do it or not. And if they happen to be a little bit busier in that day, it's like, oh, well, I just couldn't be bothered. Like, was there yeah, much more but- of a push towards trying to encourage people to take this seriously now? And like, it's not just a, an inconvenience. This is a very real thing. Yes, I mean, absolutely, very much on the, our political left. I mean, we were doing phone calls, postcards, all kinds of volunteering. I mean, really, people and all kinds of organizations were trying to do their best to get everyone out to um, reach groups of people who are, uh, are, aren't usually uh, uh, as reachable or, you know, sending postcards to people who are registered Democrats, who are uh, Native Americans, who maybe don't have, maybe it's just a P.O. box that Mm. they have or something, but trying to find ways to reach folks who, um, you know, it was, it was huge because it was so serious. And, And we had more people voted in this past election than ever did before. Yeah, right. Across the board. Voting yeah. from um by mail was a big thing, which he said was a fraud, but that's was right. Not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that was that was huge. I mean, and some places always had that and it's relatively new in other places. But yeah, there were plenty of people who just don't pay attention, mm. honestly. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder care. sometimes, is it yeah, it's a funny thing. Is it is it better that people don't care and don't show up or is it better that people don't care, but they're forced to show up and I don't know, make a wrong, not a wrong decision, but I don't know. 
just yeah, is it better that people just bow out, not vote, or you're forced to vote, therefore you'll vote on something silly? I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, there's arguments about you know compulsory voting. Is it good or is it bad? And that's the kind of point I come to. It's sort of like, do you give everyone like does everyone have a right to vote even <laughs> because the the compulsoriness of it you know is forcing a hand to make a choice so even if people don't care they'll continue not to care they might just throw their lot in with you know the person who doesn't annoy them the most or something you know right yeah mm-hmm. yeah that is an odd thing to think of like having to vote but i would i would err on the side of wanting everyone to vote as opposed to huge amounts of people not voting for what reason they just don't mm. i don't know to me it's almost like a sacred act it's so yeah. important yeah i, I mean uh, yeah vote, you yeah know? like i said over here it's not even a you don't even have a thought like you know obviously you know there's a lot more media and people are a lot more aware of international politics i mean obviously people have always been aware but it's much more present and you can seek it out a lot more and you know we understand that the u.s doesn't have a compulsory voting thing but before I really even knew anything about any of that, it was just you do, you vote. It's what you do. You don't not. <laughs> There's not a thing like, oh, I wish I didn't have to. You just go about and do it. And, like, you know, every election that we have, it's held on a Saturday. Um, you know, so majority of the nine to five people aren't working and every poll booth has a sausage sizzle and a cake stall and a little fate and children's rides. Like, it's a celebration. Like, People go out and you do your vote and you come back and you have a barbecue with your friends and you watch the count afterwards. And like, it's kind of, you make a day of it, you know, set it aside and do it, not just sort of skulk out of work for 20 minutes, run down, do your thing, come back and forget about it. It's sort of, it always feels like a bit of a celebration. That's amazing. Yeah, we, we have, it's very easy for me to vote where I live. I know there are a lot of places where, it's purposefully difficult, you know, people who are trying to prevent people from voting wow, or it's whatever. Wow, a whole other level, isn't it? It's, <laughs> that's the big thing now is to really um, stop gerrymandered districts mm. that segregate different populations or, or and all the um, laws that people are trying to pass to make it more difficult for people to vote. Yeah. That's really what we're dealing with. So it's yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I'm trying opposite. to think of if there's a <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of there's an equivalent like there's I think I have a like branch stacking they call it where I think there's you know people make up names of people to go onto roles that would put a certain candidate forward. But I think that's within the party. Like like I'm trying to think. There's no because over here we don't vote for a, a person. We vote for the person in our electorate who we want to represent us in our electorate sort of thing. Like Scott Morrison's name isn't on my ballot paper. There's the names of either independent candidates or Labor candidates or Greens candidates or Liberal Party candidates, but the people that are in my electorate. So if I want to, you know, essentially if I wanted to vote for Scott Morrison, I'd put my number one against the Liberal Party candidate because the more Liberal Party candidates get in, then they control the house and the leader of that party is then the prime minister. So it's kind of like, yeah, there's, I don't think there's as much of the trying to play the numbers with populations and, and moving votes and candidates around because 
every electorate has its candidates and all of their names are on the ballot and you number them in order of preference from one to ten, however many are on there. So I was trying to, I'm just, I'm just trying to equate. That's cool. Yeah, what yeah. happens here with what happens there. Yeah, a lot of people would like to move to something closer to that. Mm. I don't know how big of a movement there is, but, you know, it, well, it's not big enough to make a difference, in, in my opinion, anytime soon. But the critique that a lot of people have about our two-party system is that it's, it's, it creates this kind of polarization that's so intense and so um, yeah. destructive. Yeah, for or know? against. That's your options. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. And that's why I think wow. that I sort of tend to take a bit more interest in the kind of local politics, like the councils. You know, so we have like local council members, then there's state, um, you know, politicians, and there's federal politicians. And I sort of find myself paying a lot more attention to the the local council these days, like the local council meetings, because it's not as party driven. Like there are Labor candidates. So in Moreland electorate where I am. Um, there's 11 seats, and I think there's no Liberal Party um, members of of the council at all because it's a very kind of little L liberal area of Melbourne here. Um, so, yeah, so the, the Liberal Party don't even put candidates into the council elections because none of them ever get in. <laughs> so I think okay. there's, there's maybe, I think, three or four Greens candidates, probably two Labor candidates and one Socialist Alliance candidate, and the rest are independents. So I kind of I I enjoy that kind of politics a bit more because it's not as much politics. It's not you know left or right or labor or liberal. It's these eleven councillors who are responsible for making decisions about you know the the soccer pitch down the road from my house. They want to turn into synthetic turf, and it's like uh. I care a lot about that, like the environmental impacts of that, and you know, the amenity of the area and the dog walkers and the families and the sports teams and like that kind of stuff is really important to me because that's, if, you, if you're starting to look on that local level first, then it's going to inform you on things further up the chain. So if I'm looking at a decision to scrap a grass oval and replace it with synthetic, then I look at the studies and they're talking about microparticles and the Merry Creek's right beside and like that doesn't sound like a good thing that's going to sort of inform me more on environmental politics at a federal level, at a global level. And that sort of thing is a lot more immediate. And maybe I think sometimes my personality type is, you know, see something shiny and go for it, you know, like, <laughs> like a style of music, go down the rabbit hole, learn everything there is to learn about it and listen to nothing else for six weeks. That kind of thing, I think, appeals to me. And the, the local politics is that immediate it's like there's things happening like a street away or, you know, the, the train station needs to be redone or I don't know, the, the social housing in this area is lacking. There needs to be more action on that. It's a little more immediate and it seems a little more real. And I found myself, I don't know, it's getting older or something, but I'd pay less attention to the big stage than I do now about like what's immediately there and what affects, you know, my community, the people that I interact with on a daily level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I am what much less aware of the very local politics around me right now. But I think it's because I'm I'm a little bit in an island of where I where I live is not. I'm not that interested in where I live. I'm interested in my little home, and then mm-hmm. more of my community is um, is elsewhere. It's not necessarily right here. 
Yeah, sure. So yep. it's something that I'm thinking less about, but I'm sort of aware of the fact that it would be good to be in the situation where you are. And I have certainly felt that way about other places that I've lived mm. where I've been more involved specifically. But I, I agree with the idea that politicians on a local level are much more about the very particular things that they're interested in working on. And it's not necessarily, they don't follow the exact rules of um, opinions and behaviors as like the top politicians. So I don't necessarily, I probably wouldn't vote for a Republican for president. In my local level, a, a Republican is something else. Mm. You know, they, they, they might not be, be keeping the same exact um, uh, politics or whatever, the, yeah, yeah. you know, well, right now, I don't, I mean, that's probably not, that has been true in years past right now. I think we're so polarized that it's sort of, it's a different story, but. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, you know, going back to the anomaly <laughs> must've right. changed everybody's view. Like, well, not, not change their view, but I don't know. It just became, I don't know, going back to the impression from the other side of the planet, there was, yeah, a sort of unbelievable course of events. <laughs> I couldn't imagine what's what it was like to be there. And does it feel like a sort of bit of a, is it a relief still now or is it a bit surreal that things have changed? Has there been, has there been a lot of action from the new administration to really, you know, send this victory home kind of thing? Um, well, there's a huge relief package for COVID right now mm -hmm. that, um, is really a good move, you know. So vaccinations are going incredibly well. We've got money for small businesses and individuals and and people in all different situations to uh, be able to make it through this time, you know. And I think mm. that's been a huge um, thing that was passed. They were trying to pass a um, minimum wage along with that, which didn't work. But you know, compared to what got done, I think it's great. Um, yeah, I think they're doing a lot and it's, and it's, it's very positive. I think culturally I'm still concerned because there are people who absolutely believe that Trump won the election and that it was stolen. And there's a lot of, I mean, the whole QAnon thing, it's truly a cult yeah, yeah. thing that's happening. It's sort of a, a mass public, I mean, millions of people believe all kinds of really scary things. Mm. So, the, so the, it's the specter of Donald Trump still casting a shade. <laughs> yes. Or at least that the, um, the kinds of thinking that he championed mm. and the people yeah. who were extreme about it are still around. So that's not, yeah. he's, you can say he's an anomaly, but, you know, yeah, a lot no. of that's still there. Had, so what yeah, what do we do? He had you know? four years of validating people's thoughts and feelings that were alongside his, and that doesn't go away. Yeah, you're right. That's see again. It's easy to pin it to the face. You know, Donald Trump is on the front of our media, is on the television, his face is everywhere. And yeah, but yeah, I guess you kind of forget again, sitting in the you know back rows of the show. You forget that his, his, his ideals still permeate. Like he has spent four years, yeah, validating people's racist thoughts, sexist thoughts, and 
four years where and delusional able... thoughts. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's just... okay to think this fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, I think I'm still cautious. I'm still wondering. I'm still wondering what's going to happen because some of these people, like they had predictions saying, like, well, Trump is really still president, and mm. um, all the Democrats are about to get arrested, and all these things that. And they kept, it's like, uh, it is like a religious cult where they keep coming up with a new date. Oh, well, it was supposed to be March 4th and then nothing happened March 4th. It's it's one of these Nostradamus, like Mayan calendar predictions, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So some of them are starting to slowly wake up and come to terms with the fact that this isn't a thing. Mm. But some of them aren't. I I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to what's going to happen with that. But I'm just still on my toes because we don't want you know he's threatening to try to run again in four years and i don't i don't think that's going to happen but somebody like him could run you know what i mean it's Mm. something you've got to be aware of still i remember him i think i heard him say or allude to the fact that you know he'll get more done behind his desk at mar-a-lago than he would in the white house and that thought occurred it's like yeah i mean he already has power and influence over people you don't have to be the president to put that out there. He, can, he can't change legislation and he can't invade countries from where he is, but he can still have a platform to speak to people with the authority that they understand him to have, whether it's been voted in by a majority of Americans or not. Like he still has the voice and he still holds influence. It's just that it's not a, a parliamentary influence or presidential influence. But yeah, still, still there. And still frightening. Right. Well, my hope is that he's just kept busy with lawsuits Mm. till the end of time because he's got so many civil and criminal suits coming at him for Mm -hmm. everything he's done. So, well, please let that be the the vindication (laughs) that we all want to see. Exactly. Exactly. So, what do you think? What do you think we all could be doing to be better? world citizens i was going to ask it from the perspective of Amer- of the united states but i don't know how do we uh, what is my question how do we fix the planet that's a little bit too broad <laughs> i don't know so i don't know what I'm synthetic astroturfs. No, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know um yeah you know my opinion one of millions but i think being worldly citizens goes towards helping worldly concepts, I think. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I mean, to, you know, to sort of to tread out the stereotype, there's, there's a kind of, you know, it's, again, it's a horribly stereotypical thing to say, but, you know, without censoring myself, there's a thought out there that Americans don't know what goes on outside their own backyard. Like, there's a very, you know, the world is American-centric. We watch, you know, movies are American, the, our music's, Music that we hear and love comes from the United States. Like, it's a a cultural force and has been for a long time. And that's amazing. Like, I mean, what would the world be without blues and jazz and hip-hop and everything that came (laughs) off the back of that? Culturally incredible. But also, there's a thought. And again, I don't know, Australians have this great tall poppy syndrome where, I don't know, do you have that expression? You sort of, Mm -mm. it's it's kind of, tall poppy syndrome is kind of like, um, you know, you just hate on someone because they're bigger. Oh, okay. And a thing, it's like, you know, chopping down the tall poppies. It's like you're up there and it's like because we're lower, we're going to 
you know, not like you because you're good at something. It's kind of that concept. So, so I think Australians have that quite a bit. And so there's a bit of a, there can be a reaction to anything that might be seen as American. And we see ourselves more as like, you know, we have this little island, but, you know, everybody gets a visa and goes and lives in London for a while or travels South America or go to Asia or see other things and experience other cultures and drive around the country. And there's an impression here that, that you know, the majority of people in the US don't care. <laughs> they don't care about what's happening in Europe. They don't care what's happening in Australia. They don't care who the Prime Minister of New Zealand is, you know, what's happening in Southeast Asia. <clears throat> we, there's that impression out there. Again, I'm not agreeing with it. <laughs> it's just a Well, a thing uh, no, I that- think it's, yeah, no, I think it's well taken. And, and that's my concern too. I, I feel like um, a lot of people are so, like people think, Oh, well, you know, there's American exceptionalism, really, mm-hmm. you know, which just says we're the best of, at everything. And I've even I've known someone to say, you know, I love America and I don't have any reason to ever leave it. Mm. And I'm just like, that's really sad <laughs> and yeah. really enraging, yeah, mm. actually. I mean, I would think, you know, and I mean, I don't know that I don't think most people think that, but I think there is a. Yes, we could benefit from going other places and seeing other things and hearing other sounds, and I think that's very true. Yeah, you know, I think that's true of everyone, but especially Americans could learn something. <laughs> yeah, and again, sorry, like I didn't mean to sort of you know turn that completely around on an entire nation, but like I think my point was the walk a mile in someone else's shoes, like in in terms of like a the the quick fix to the world, <laughs> you know, experience and empathize with other people i think because you don't know anything that you don't know so if you try and find out then might go towards better understanding i don't know i think that's my kind of general broad take on it is try and try and experience as much as possible because yeah you don't know what you don't know yes i agree and uh i love to travel and love to talk to people from everywhere and mm. just, you know, taking stuff. And I hope that we can, uh, I, this has been a great conversation. I have to admit that um, I am really fascinated with talking to someone who's 15 hours ahead and <laughs> on the opposite season. And I love the fact that this interview happens to be happening on the equinox. So I can wish you a happy fall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's autumn over here. Awesome. Thanks. Yes. 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 <laughs> That's right. Yeah, autumn the, the, fall. The, say yeah, the spring equinox over there, is it? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very cool, very fun. Yeah, well, greetings and... from the future. Sunday's so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Robin. You got questions? We got answers. (laughs) And today's question comes from Bill Lutz. Bill says, uh, this is from his daughter, Flora, who's 16 years old. So Flora wants to know, how do you think the current younger generation feels about the world burning literally and metaphorically? She would like to know your take on this question, just out of curiosity, what the older generation thinks the younger generation feels because people often assume they know the answer. This is a really interesting question because I don't know that I presume what 
the younger generation is thinking. No, How about I you? don't either. I don't either. I, I, um, I mean, I am a, you know, technically I'm in an, an older generation than you are with, I don't really interact with anybody who's younger than 25 right now, but I know my 20 something people kind of, I kind of have a sense of what they're thinking and they're angry. Mm-hmm. They're not happy about much of what's going on in the world. They don't like capitalism. I don't know. I mean, if I was a 16-year-old and knew the things that I know now, I would be furious. I mean, I'm a furious 60-something-year-old at this point. Yeah. I, I feel like what who I hear about having opinions around climate change and, and like political turmoil and things like that are like the young activists. Yes. And there is, I think, I feel like there's a combination of determination and, and anger that, like you said, I feel like kids would feel that we knew about these problems and didn't do enough fast enough, you know? Mm. So I, I'm guessing there's some anger there. Um, I also, See, see a lot of determination too for people that are like, you know, we it's we've got to change things now, like, there's no more time. So, there's a kind of urgency that maybe we didn't have when I think back to like, you know, the first like Earth Day things where people were just like, oh, let's all serve, save the earth together and pick up some aluminum cans, you know. <laughs> and it was like not yeah, but really that's... what needed to be done, or there's much more. That, that should have been done, but people didn't really know. Either a combination of didn't know or just thought, well, by this time, by the time things get bad, like we'll have figured it all out and, and not, it didn't get figured out. That's yeah. Well, the first Earth Day, I remember because I think I was 16 or maybe 15. Mm-hmm. I was right around that age when the first Earth Day happened. And me and my girlfriend did go around and literally were picking up cans and garbage. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Uh, because that's what we were told. That's what you do on Earth Day. You right? Know? No, exactly. I'm agreeing. I remember this. And I and I also remember reading in Scientific American in the 70s when I was in high school. They're saying, um, you know, we our oil the oil reserves are going to run out by 2050, which at that point seemed like forever in the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're almost there, and I, and the oil companies are still like, you know, we don't care. We're just, you know, they're, they're, they, they basically had to be led by the nose to start thinking about alternate energy sources. Right. You know, and, and they knew from, from the seventies, because I think it was like, you know, that kind of shit is that that's the stuff they know. They knew how much oil reserves were left. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know, and the people have been screaming about, you know, the ga- greenhouse gases and the ozone layer and all that other stuff, you know, for our whole lives. I mean, they did, things did happen. I mean, things, if we hadn't, okay, if nothing happened and that capitalists did whatever they wanted to do to the environment for my entire life, we would be in way worse shape. Right. It's just, I guess that we're not doing enough or we haven't done enough. And- I don't know how we could have convinced our leaders to have done more. Yeah. 
because the steps, you know, I, you know, you'd have the, you'd have these activists that were here the whole time and they would be wanting to do very extreme things. And, and the way our country and a lot of the world works is, you know, there has to be a compromise. So, I mean, maybe they needed to say, you know, we have to stop driving cars immediately. And then, and then the compromise would have been something better for us earlier, you know, but we are, we are trying to steer a very large boat basically. And it's hard to turn. Right. And, and for some people and especially people with a lot of money and power that can throw money at a problem to make it go away. And I was doing air quotes there that you can't see, you know, the world literally has to be on fire for them to say, Oh, well shit, maybe we should do something. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So in terms of how younger folks feel, I mean, I I'm hoping that there's, you know, some continued diligence and, and, I don't want to just rely on younger folks to fix everything. Obviously, I think that would be a, a, a worthy of a lot of anger if that's you know what yeah. we were thinking. But I think I still have in, in me to try to do what I can and to learn what what we can do to contribute. I hope younger folks do that too. And but the other thing I think is there's probably still a large amount of apathy because yeah. wherever I look. There are plenty of people who just aren't paying attention. And I would imagine there are some younger folks that are in that boat too. Oh, yeah. So hopefully. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a mix, I I guess, you know, and I would be curious to hear, you know, what Flora thinks, what she hears from her peers (laughs) about what's happening. So if you want to write in and let us know, that would be good because I think having a dialogue between all of us around these things is, it's really important. Yeah. I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And on Discord and in Subgenius Circles, I am Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show. And until next time, be well. Stay safe. And keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>